Hello, and welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read through every Pulitzer Prize winning play since 1918, so you don't have to, or so you will join us and read along with us. This week, oh, I am Josh Heron. I am a third grade teacher and theater critic, um, and I am joined by um, soccer coach and um, web editor, uh, <laughs> culture writer, <laughs> Christopher Munden. Why don't you call him a culture warrior? Culture, culture warrior. <laughs> and, and culture warrior, John Rosenberg. <laughs> um, this week, we um, are reading 1948's fiery, incendiary classic, A Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. Um, another one of those like big gun, big gun wins where we are like, I, I don't know, at least I'm really excited to read this. Um, reread it. Is this, has everyone experienced this play before? Was this anyone's first time with it? I saw no. the movie before. But I don't think I ever read the play before. I think I had to read it in high school, maybe. Um, this is I think I, oh, and I've seen it a couple times, and I've seen the uh, the Marlon Brando movie. I've seen the Marlon Brando movie. I think this is like so. When I was, I think I've talked about this when I was thirteen. Um, I was like really into reading. Like I had a really, I was a, a little intense. But I read like Long Day's Journey into Night and Streetcar Named Desire and Glass Menagerie. I probably Death of the Salesman, um, Our Town, some of the like big ones. So I think I read it then. I reread it last year just for um, for shits and giggles. And I like, I don't remember loving it. Um, so that perspective I think will be interesting and in, in that this reading felt a little different. Um, and then I think my high school did it when I was not yet there, which I'm trying to imagine a high school doing this, and it's real cuckoo crazy. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. <laughs> I hope they stuck to all the original stage directions, like the wall, <laughs> bouncing and echoing. Um, and I, I think I said I saw the movie a long time ago. I mean, I think again, probably when I was like 13 or 14. Yeah. Uh, and I've never seen it done live. Um, uh all right um so did anything surprise us about this is it it's, i don't know it's sort of hard to be surprised by a uh a classic like this but was anyone surprised I mean, by this reading of it it was surprising you know yeah i think i'd read it before i knew it. i've seen it it's a good play but i think reading it in the context of doing this week after week and uh, and reading all the other plays. It was surprising to me, like, how good this was compared to once we've read. I thought this was, like, um, I don't know. Uh, this what, how, so if, so yeah. what set this play apart from the other plays for you, Christopher? Um characters, dialogue. I, I think it may have been you who had a, a theater company tagline like we make people or we create people. Or something yeah, like we that. make people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a, 
there's a Harold Bloom book on Shakespeare called The Invention of the Human. It's mm. like bringing to life, like not just characters on the stage, on the page, but like, like people who you could almost picture um, not being confined by the action that's on the stage. And I felt like his, the way he draws these characters, they felt very vibrant, very vivid to me. Yeah. And his, yeah. I, I was thinking too about like, I don't know. And I, I was trying to remember how I felt reading it last year. Cause like, I don't give a shit. I mean, I'm actually really curious as to what like 14 year old me thought of this play um, as I was reading it. Uh, but I don't have access to that. But um, I remember that last year, I think I remember being like, I know this is a great play and I can tell it, but like, it just didn't land for me. But like, man, it feels like, and this is sort of corny, but it feels like Wizard of Oz, like we've been in black and white. <laughs> and then like, this is cool. Like, it's like reading it in this context makes me appreciate like what, a fucking like bomb, like not in a bad way, not like a, a bad, but like what a like thing this must have been to see. Um, in 1947, 48, yeah. It's just so different from the other, but I guess, well, yes and no. I, sorry, I'm gonna go back on myself a little bit. I think it's really different from what has been going on in New York since the 1930s. Um, I don't know if any of you had an edition with a, like an essay by um, Arthur Miller? No. 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 So it, there's an edition that has an essay about Arthur Miller written in like, I think the early 2000s or late 90s. He lived that long? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, he actually wrote a play in like early 2000s. Um, mm. But he talks about how like Tennessee Williams is so singular and there was nothing, anything like it. And like, there was no, like America was all realism but no language and I was sort of like and he but he, with the exception of Max Anderson who did um both your houses which we didn't I didn't really care for mm-hmm. and this other guy Odette who did uh, yeah I don't know if you read any of his work but he read like Waiting for Lefty and Awaken Sing he apparently yeah. starred in Men in White Clifford is it yeah Clifford yeah. Odette yeah. yeah. He also he also uh, snitched on people in front of the House on Un American Activities Committee. Oh. Um, and so did so did the director of this, Elia Kazan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, they're both they're both snitches. Um. But he so Miller like says beside those two, it's there's really not a lot of like interesting things happening in American theater, and I sort of like I think this is like my experience with this project is like calls it a little bit into question i know i just said that this was such a revelation but i do think that there are like seeds of this like i think like when i'm reading this i really think of street scene um the um, a rice play um and i think of him as someone who sort of has gotten overlooked um and i and that play as being something that felt um maybe not equally gritty but it, it like it deals with sort of this like american urban working class like culture in a way that is sort of like not super present in the rest of the work that we read. Um, mm-hmm. um, the essay I had in the beginning of um, 
my edition was by Tennessee Williams about like how crazy the success of Glass of yeah. was. Yeah, that's the one I had too, and he was basically um, decrying the success. Yeah. Well, he said it was tough to deal with, but he yeah. closed with a quote from another play we just read. Um, Williams. Um, yeah. The titular quote, what was it? Um, in the time of your life. So, uh, and I, and that made me think of that play as a, I know someone when we read it said that like, this was the first play or one of the first plays we read where you're like, this feels like literature. Mm, mm-hmm. And I had a similar feeling with this, like reading it. It's like, this is, this is literature. This is um, to be yeah. canonized. So I guess, well, I, I, oh, sorry. I, I think that, I think the interesting thing about, about this, and I, I feel like something like a streetcar named desire, the, the magnificence of it is not something you could ever really put your finger on. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a number of different things, but it, there, there's an elusiveness to it. But I think it's interesting that idea of this is literature because the characters themselves, I think the inner lives of them, how they see themselves and how they want to speak, they probably think of themselves as these, these great characters in a novel or like there's a, there's a wit to them, but like, from going from inside the mind to the, to putting it into words and to putting it in the world, it becomes just grotesque and deformed. You know, I guess I think mostly a Blanche. Um, and that to mm-hmm. me is, that to me is the beautiful literary side of it. You know, all the characters don't have the right things to say, or they don't, yeah. they don't speak in, in wit and witticisms, but it's like in their minds they do. But like the, the laws of physics just take what they want to be or what they are. And it just, it just twists them. And it's just, it's, it's incredible. I will, you know, you asked the question of what surprised you. What killed me is like the first moment with Blanche, you know, when she comes in, she takes a drink, but then lies about having a drink. And like that, subtlety yet clear you know just a clear calling card you can't beat that and it's just it's like it yeah it, it's, it's just incredible best. like psychological insight i mean i'm sure this play has been praised for its psychological insight in like the, the kind of mental illness mental breakdown of blanche but it's like it's more than that it's like it's not talking about someone who you could um, put a a label on as she has this illness or uh, yeah. or Stanley has this problem. It's like it's showing psychological insight into these people as humans, and and yeah, the way he does it, that subtlety is brilliant. Does anyone want to give a summary of what this oh, play is about? Jesus, I, I thought we were missing something. Um, yeah, uh, John, do you want to try? Um, so the, I think A Streetcar Named Desire is about a dude named Stanley and his wife Stella that are living uh, a life in New Orleans. And um, 
Stella is from Mississippi and she has an older sister named Blanche who comes to visit. Um, Blanche is down on her luck. They had recently lost their plantation in Mississippi. Blanche is Stella's older sister and Stella clearly looks up to her a lot. Uh, she kind of kept it from her husband, Stanley, that she was coming to visit. Stanley is, uh, I mean, he's fucking Marlon Brando. You know, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to describe him, but he's, uh, yeah, I think, uh, a veteran. Tennessee Williams describes him as like a man and, you know, a masculine man and like a lot of, a lot of terms, but he's like, uh, an animal, a beast. Right. He's like, he's, he's the king of the castle. Uh, you know, he's like a lower working class dude. And the, the play is really about the, uh, the collision of their life in Blanche and, you know, us as an audience and also Stella and, uh, and Stanley coming to realize that Blanche and what she says about her life is not true and the delusion that she lives in and, you know, the play really moves towards Stanley forcing her sister and also Blanche to face the lies that she, uh, that she tries to perpetuate. And it ends with uh, Stella's, you know, she's pregnant and, there's just like a lot of fighting and basically Stanley fucks Blanche and then Blanche has a complete nervous breakdown. And then uh, they- wait, 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 wait. Stanley, what Blanche? He fucks Blanche. I would use a different verb there. He makes love to Blanche. Okay, rapes- <laughs> That's not the one. <laughs> this is like disgusting. He rapes Blanche. He like very clearly rapes Blanche. Um. Okay. I. 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 I be, sorry. I. Or. Wow. That's if that is like a, a an interpretation that like feels not. It's hard to no, have no, a different interpretation. No, no, no. I think that was just my reading of it without like the stage directions. You know, I I felt of it as more like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not saying. Uh, yeah, he he rapes her, and then afterwards, it's her after her complete breakdown being carted off uh and Stella then doesn't believe her right Stella doesn't believe uh it, it's not ne- it's never stated explicitly on stage it's um, stated explicitly on stage she says if I believe it believed her I'd have to oh, leave see, him I oh this is so interesting I took that to believe that she like sort of does believe her but that she can't like right yeah okay she she yeah, and that scene at the off. end where she cries, yeah. She has to not believe her to continue living her life, although she does probably believe her. I mean, and that's what's, I guess that's what is sort of like, um, like, he, he has this way of like airing out really petty shit and spending a lot of dialogue on like really, on like, and the way humans do, right? Like we don't actually fight about the issues. Right, we fight about um, the paper lamp or the having yeah. to clean up the state, or yeah. But then it's like the like thing of like, oh, I actually can't like, <laughs> I'm actually having to choose between believing my sister or knowing that my husband raped her. Um, is like given a sort of a one is like a, a sort of a quiet line, and like that. But that is like like we get these like moments of like seeing what's going on in their inner lives. 
but but I think I think that also brings up a good point. You know, for me reading it, because you know, it's like the two of them are alone because the sister has to go to the hospital or whatever, and it's like she's like, "Let me buy, let me buy," and he's like, "Hold up, hold up, hold up." You know what I mean? And I think it's like that. I think what's weird for me is like he has one line. It's like you know this has been between us since the first night or whatever, you know, that ends the scene, you know, where it's clear, like, but it's weird to me that like a play so sorted doesn't show the sordidness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. It carries it to the bed. Yeah. And, and a lot of productions do now, of course, don't they? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I've never seen this live, but I, I mean, the movie, the movie, so the movie famously doesn't. How does the movie depict it? I think it just sort of, you could interpret it that he like roughs her up. It doesn't, they don't have sex. And then the, the movie also doesn't make it clear that her first husband was gay. Yeah. Yeah. Which I also think that is like a blink it and you miss it kind of line. But um, uh, he dwells on it some. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could miss it. You could miss it. But I, I think that's also then brings up the interesting thing about Blanche is like the moments of like of her clearly lying or making things up, and yet she so vividly explains what happened with her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the on stage, the thing where she hears the same music that was playing before he like ran out and shot himself. Yeah, the Versuviana. Yeah, and, and that surprised me. I think that was that was the other piece that really surprised me. Um, the ability of us to be in her mind and to recognize or like to experience whatever massive panic attacks that she goes through each day, you know. It almost, to me, it um, makes us believe her. You know what I mean? Like being able to experience what she does, it... it, it it's very protective to me that Tennessee Williams does that instead of just like it being just another thing she says. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, or like, well, a couple things is I think Tennessee Williams has a tendency and you would know this or like in glass Madrid, it's really intense, but he like directs from the script. Like, and I don't know if that's mm-hmm. because these are sort of literary editions that like these plays were sort of read as popular literature. So like, they need it, but like hmm. the like detail of production that like he has for Glass Menagerie, like I don't think many productions follow it. Um, and I'm sure for that, like some of these things are like, really specific around set pieces and music. Well, some of them are pretty impossible, like yeah. mood and smell and stuff like that, right? Right. Um, it looks like the Van Gogh painting. Um, but what I, I was going to say is, I do think for me, this play does require a, a really strong actress in the role of Blanche, because I think it re- sure. I think you need, I think you need her. And again, I haven't seen this live, but reading it now this time, I think that like for me, the, for the play to work, you have to, there has to be something about Blanche that you like. Sure. Or want to protect or want to like, and I think she can be. I think often she is written as really, really hard to handle. Um, 
Like, there are many times mm. in the play where I'm reading it, and I'm like, fuck, yeah. Like, if I was Stanley, I'd fucking hate her, too. She came in. She's, like, being mean to me. She's, like, criticizing me. I just want to live my life. Um, but I think if you don't, like, if you don't also root for Blanche. Have sympathy for her. Yeah. Like, the play's a sort of a slog. There's more to the character than just doing a bad southern accent, that we can say. Well, I, I think that's the interesting thing about like how he sets her up for us from the beginning is showing us her lying about something that doesn't need to be lied about. Mm-hmm. You know, like the her the drinking thing, to me, it's like it's just tipping us off that she's not okay. And there's something interesting about someone lying about something that doesn't matter. It's it's sad, and it's like uh, right yeah. for someone for someone to Jeez. lie about not drinking and then to act so falluting is it's hilarious. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's one thing for it to be like a, a portrait of alcoholism, and she lies about drinking to cover her alcoholism, but it's not that. You know, like it's it's vicious that he shows us her lying about drinking, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's beautiful. And to me, I think that's actually how he gets us on her side in a certain way is by showing her weakness without like, it's not anything she says. It's just like something that she's probably blind to doing, you know, like her just instinct to lie, you know, for who she is. Mm-hmm. She loved that husband too. And I mean, and that's probably like the sympathy, you know, we hear all these rumors about her or truths about her that Stanley has found out. And then the way she tells them also the kind of desperation and it makes us understand her as a person doing that. And, well, I, and to me, the very interesting thing is it's not a it's not a situation where she tells half truths regarding what happens. You know, I always think of like, I don't know. I, I always think of Chinatown when Jack Nicholson is slapping Faye Dunaway in the car asking who the girl is. And she's like, she's my sister. She's my daughter. She's like, everything comes out in half truths of what's true. But the strange thing to me about Blanche is when she, when she tells the truth, it's, it's so truthful. It's stunning that like, it's not like she tells a fake version or like lies or whatever. It's so white hot with the truth that everything else is a lie. And that to me is fascinating. Do we think other characters are drawn as vividly as Blanche? As Blanche? Um, Mitch is a great character we haven't talked about, I think. What, um, what is great to uh, Mitch about you? So, let me, so Mitch, is, um, Mitch is the guy that's one of Stanley's friends. He's single, um, and he's sort of initially drawn to, um, to Blanche. And um, she tries to make it... Um, she presents herself as, um, I don't know, a lady who is also in need and lonely and they would be a great match and hides her age. Her age is probably like 30, 32. 
She's presented as like this washed up old lady, but she's probably pretty young in my eyes at least. Um, you know, I guess um, he's not perhaps the most vividly drawn character. Stanley, I think, is and Stella more, but but he's a good character and his his shape upon the the way he shapes the play is also really interesting. Like, um, you know, we can blame Stanley for her apparent breakdown at the end, but like, I don't know. She does go completely truthful with Mitch when he finds out stuff about her past from Stanley and, and and he then just wants to sleep with her and well, not marry well, her. But he's sort of like the like aunt, like it's interesting because I think he also exists to be a foil to Stanley, right? Because in that scene, he like it sort of seems like he's like he tries to sleep with her, and like there's a moment where it's like, oh, is he gonna like, is he gonna force himself on her? Is he gonna like whatever? And she's like, get out of here, and he like obliges, right? He like moves on. Yeah, I kind of forgot how that. Ended, even though I did see it not that long ago, and I was wondering, reading it, um, if like, if Tennessee Williams was almost hinting that he was homosexual too, you know? Nah, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't think so either. But I had that. Mitch, Mitch, he's at least he's he's a foil to Stanley's like hyper masculine. Yeah, I think yeah. Tennessee Williams is a lot of like, I think like all his plays have like. I don't think it hurts to imagine like any of the characters being coded as queer to some degree. I think that's like oh, suddenly Stanley could be right. Right, that's like dripping in his work. Right, that's like all over everything. Um, right, like Blanche is a drag queen to a certain extent. Like, I mean, I think hmm. there's like um, I'm sure that's been played right. But but I think I think to your question of like if you. You're wondering if all the characters are drawn as vividly as Blanche. I think, I think the answer is no, and I think that is a conscious decision and a very good one on Tennessee Williams' part. Like, to me, if every character was drawn so vividly, mm-hmm. it would, uh, uh, yeah, it would be too much. It would be way too much. And like, I mean, Stanley's not drawn that vividly, like. To me, he he's always he's like the counterpuncher to whatever's happening in in the scene. You know what I mean? Like he comments on what's happening. He does some crazy fucking shit. But the inner life of Stanley, I don't think Tennessee Williams is as interested in it. Or I I I think he paints uh, a a thing of him. But no, no, no. And like Stella, it's like we really don't get the inner life of Stella at all. We don't. We don't have to. Right. Because she's so, mm-hmm. she's so, like her older sister is so overbearing and right. sucks all the air out of the room. <laughs> to like present her in her f- true life would be to disregard the reality of the life that they lead. You I know don't know. I mean? You get that. You at least get um, get her role very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. her role yeah, yeah, yeah. in in the relationship. So you very much get like just from like small things right at the beginning of her interaction with Blanche, you get an idea of what their relationship as sisters has always been like. 
and you get uh, you get a vivid picture of her her regard, her love for Stanley, despite in all, and you and well, you and get her, a picture of her role in that relationship. I mean, and her love for Blanche, despite everything. Yeah, and that sure. and that to me is what separates this play from a hundred percent of the other plays is that comes down to the playwright's ability and their style to tell you all that shit without having to make a kitchen sink fucking drama where the inner life of each character is explained. And do you know what I mean? Like that's what makes this so incredibly good. Um, it's just his ability to paint it and have the confidence to know that that'll be enough for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because and it, the- because it is funny like you know if you had a play where a younger sister is always kind of like bossed around by an older sister for you to show her her true life belies her relationship to her sister and she's supposed to kind of be stepped on or do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. if stella is given like four monologues where she explains this is what it was like for me or whatever it's like yeah but yeah yeah to a script nowadays would do that wouldn't it yeah and we need to see her motivation they'd say yeah and that's what makes that's what makes this so incredibly good is that it's not a long play it's not a slog you know it might emotionally be at times but like like you said josh it's all petty all the arguments are so fucking petty and that's, I mean, for me, that's what I live for watching is just pettiness, just the pettiness of people and how it drives larger issues in relationships or whatever. It's just so fucking good, man. Um, what do we think the city of like, do, is like, is there any, sorry, do we want to talk at all about like the setting or how New Orleans plays into it? Does that feel like, like- yeah, it feels real to me. I don't know. Um, I mean, he talks about like the diversity of the city and just just the way he shows Eunice having a African American friend right at the beginning mm-hmm. is is different. It's a very small role for African American, but it's different to almost any role we've seen in plays that we've read i do find it interesting that she hails that the sisters hail from mississippi there's something about that that like to me it's different if if the girls came out of north dakota and are now in new orleans but to me mississippi and new orleans even though they're very different worlds they inhabit the same just like it's 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 different but it i don't know it's it's strange to me um the music that's always coming from coming in in every scene, right? He talks about that in every scene. There's a bar in the corner, and you hear the music from that. Um, the, I mean, we do get the stage directions about um, New Orleans, but it seems um, poetically drawn. The um, there's poetry and there's symbolism and stuff in the in the streetcar named desire idea and, and that he brings out a few times and the the route that she takes the name of Elysian Fields 
Yep, and the it's you take the cemetery. It's like the sem you take the streetcar name cemetery to the streetcar name desire. It's like yeah, it's like a Amanda place that, and that, those are those are real things. I think Elysian Fields is fictional, but the other stuff it's like very. Uh, there's like poet. There's like poetry. No, I think I think I think Elysian yeah. Fields is real too. I think it is. Yeah. Um, um, but it is um, interesting because it almost feels like because I hadn't thought about it. You know, like I think. Uh, when you talked about it taking place in New Orleans, it's funny. It's like, to me, there's, this is the last stop. There's nowhere mm. further to me, mm. like emotionally. And it's just like the last, it's, you can't go any further um, in the world or something like that in this play. Like there's no turning back or I, I don't know what, but that to me is how New Orleans feels like. It's like, uh Yeah. This is like, yeah, it's River's End, it's Babylon, it's whatever, I don't know. But like, there's no coming back from this. But it's a great place. It, it, to me, it seems like Tennessee Williams is like, this is a great place. It's not a bad place. Yeah. Yeah, you don't, so it's a poor neighborhood, but he doesn't, it's not a bad neighborhood. No, he, I mean, I think that like, I think that's the thing is, I, I think, like Stella loves that. I, I think. I think. Yeah, they love it. They have a good life in a way, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you know she's saying that like my sister doesn't get it. This is different for me, but like she's not saying like there's no like discontent from Stella's. Like, no. Yeah. No. None there's of, nothing none of the she wants there. to escape from. No one talks about yearning for another place. I mean, Blanche obviously does about the man from Dallas or whatever, but Jeff. it's it's funny. Jeff I do Huntley. wonder. I do wonder how much of Tennessee Williams is in Stanley because mm. there's something about the way that dude talks shit mm-hmm. that is just so fucking good, mm-hmm. you know, like set aside like um, his commentary on like men prone to violence or to rape, but like just who he is. Um, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of Tennessee Williams and Stanley Kowalski. Mm. And probably Blanche Dubois. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, I think a lot of times people always kind of infer that from it. But for me, I feel like there must be, to me, Stanley seems so real and vivid in a way that it's not based on someone he knows. Or it's, do you know what I mean? To me, it's it's something inside of him. What does Blanche kind of see in the, I forget the name of the two women in uh, Les Menagerie. Amanda. But the mother, yeah, the mother and the daughter. You can see echoes of both of them in Blanche, right? I mean, I, I think I see Amanda. I don't know if I see Laura. I think Laura is a little bit more Stella, but um, mm. is there anything we, you didn't like about the play? No, I, you know, I think you can, no, me personally, fuck no. To me, this is one of these works. I remember a few years ago, I was with Christopher and we saw that play. What do we see at the fucking place, Christopher? You have to be more specific than that. Um, Is this a room? That was last year, yeah. We saw uh, Yeah. There, there's like certain things that I've either seen live or read that are just so electric and just 
life affirming and just so powerful mm-hmm. and so simple. This to me is the, you know, the story, set aside the story or whatever you want to say, but like the telling of it is so simple and clean and beautiful. It's just, it's stunning. That's just me personally. I don't know if you gentlemen have anything. No, I mean, I think like, eh. in other readings, I think that like, and maybe this is something about myself, but I think that like the, the, like the, the, uh, the mania of Blanche, um, mm. I think in the wrong hands can read as like, could veer into some misogyny or some like sort of like tropey things of like hysterical. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I don't love that. I think this time I read it and I think I, like found myself being more sympathetic to Blanche and, and, but I, I, and I think it's hard because he writes at such a fever pitch that I, I wouldn't want the play to be different. Like, I think that like, Blanche is an incredible character. Um, and it's not, I don't even know if it's a problem with the play. It's just something that like, I, I can, I could imagine someone walking away from that play and having that issue. Um, Wondering if he is some misogynist. Yeah. I, I, I dig what you're saying, but I think the, the filthiness about this play mm-hmm. is I think if I read this when I was 20, I would probably walk away from it being like, that's a crazy bitch. Mm-hmm. And like me reading this now, like with the life experience I've had and just the people in my life, I know mm-hmm. it rings fucking true. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that is, that is the deadly thing about him mm-hmm. that because it's so subtle and doesn't hold your hand in thinking what's going to happen. It, it affects people. I would think it affects people in different ways based off their own experiences. But to me, the, reading this now at like 43, it's, it just floored me how, how just like how much he gives you and how much he doesn't hold your hand. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. takes so much fucking talent. The way he has Blanche like present different personalities, present herself, is so good. Like, yeah, dude. Right in showing who she is, she's you see it by her pretense, and yeah, that's just she's so well drawn. Um, it's funny too with Blanche. I think of I think of all the times I've lied for no fucking reason, or like right. made something up for a moment to push a thing or something like that. And or I to think like the, do, or to like I like I think that I I mean maybe this is like more but, my, but like the way she needles between like a family like between her sister and her husband right to like get like to try to sort of like pull rank. Um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think I think the beauty of the pettiness is something that everyone, you know, recognizes in their own lives and in their own actions. And I think that's what, because um, I forgot, you know, Woody Allen did that movie a few years ago, Blue Jasmine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I was reading, oh, who was Kate Blanchett, was it? Yeah. She had played Blanche, Blanche, Blanche on the stage. Oh, that's fine. Before she did that, yeah. But in like that telling of the character, there was like a viciousness in her failing that doesn't show up in the original work that that separates this play from everything that came after it that copies it. Like, 
I, I, I dig what you're saying about the mania of her. It's so dangerous of like people taking away the wrong things regarding her. Um, but yeah, it's just done so well that it's not an issue. Yeah, I read um, that essay, The History of the Prizes, that talks about um, reason each one's given. Um, should say the year before this, we skipped the year and they were debating four plays. It was a, a Moss Hart one, we've read him. It was forgotten. George Kelly, we've read him, it was forgotten. But Arthur Miller's All Our Sons and um, Eugene O'Neill's Iceman Cometh, and they get, ended up giving no award. But for this one, when they were debating, there was a line like about how giving the award to this play will increase the prestige of the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> That's funny. Like it's not like, yeah, it's almost the other way around. Like we are gaining something by giving the award to this play. And it's funny, the play that this actually, to me, stands on the shoulders of and just launches into the stratosphere is actually, they knew what they wanted, to me. Like, street scene, it's not as much to me, I don't find a connection to it, but that one that took place, like, in California. California, yeah. That one, that one to me is, like, a precursor and just not as good. But, like, the same sorted pettiness. Yeah. But this thing is just Jesus fucking Christ. Definitely, I mean, I'd say the best play we've had so far. Yeah. Um, any like dreams for production, or just do it? Marlon Brando. Oh, I mean, yeah, Marlon Brando. Oh, uh, 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 you know, I don't know man. The... there's the one a few years ago of Alec Baldwin. <laughs> really? Yeah. How was he? Hey. I, I don't know. I've always wanted to watch the Alec Baldwin version because, I mean, that man, is a, he's a, like a caricature of himself at this point. But, dude, it, I could see that it, right. I don't know who played Blanche in it, but, yeah. Someone I, I would famous. sort of love to see it with three men as, like, <laughs> like I, I, I would love to see a, like, a, a man like I, like I, I'm very curious about Blanche translated either as a as a gay man or as a trans character. Like I think that there's like a lot you could do with sort of Blanche's otherness. I guess to make her a trans character would like to like put a lot of pathology on that. That would probably not like land super well. But I think there's like a there's like Whoa. there's such a, there's like queerness to all of his characters of like the way that like queer culture sort of like builds up artifice and the way that like they sort of like use language and there's like, uh, I think, I think, I think it's a very interesting idea. And I wonder how the carrying of trauma is different. You mm -hmm. know, if it's, if it's played by, you know, a man or if it's played by, by a trans person, like how the carrying of that trauma is portrayed and how, how we accept it or what we think of that trauma. Right. I wondered uh, about um, Stanley's trauma from the war, whether he is, he is Stanley's doing uh, fine. Is, Stanley, I know, but Stanley's not tripping off the war at all, man. You don't think it's important that they, they were yeah. friends in the war and Stanley had a great fucking time, man. <laughs> okay. I mean I wondered like that violence that's you know what you see in 
military and whether I don't I don't I don't, don't think so. I, I didn't read that mostly because the upstairs neighbors were fighting and everyone just kind of laughed about it. You know, it was like, oh, did they call it cops or whatever? Like, I mean, you could like that's really interesting though, right? Like, I I mean, this is like a, an actor's choice that would like be one of those things that the audience would never know, but could inform some choices. But like, is there a world in which Stanley was like sort of mild mannered and not this person, and then like went to the war, and the war is what like like I think I imagine Stanley as like coming out of the womb. Like calling his mom a bitch, right? <laughs> uh, but like maybe that's not the case. Maybe the war is like the rea- the reason. Like maybe like his whole persona is a trauma response to the war. I mean the f- the fascinating to me Stanley's, you know, the fascinating moment for me is when you know Blanche keeps referring to him as either a pole or a Polak, a Polak, yeah. and he's like, hold up, real quick, I am not a fucking pole. I'm not a Polak. I am one hundred percent American. Greatest goddamn me- country in the world. Right. That to me he's he's like to me it's the opposite of the play we read before where the uh, state of the union where there was like there was after the war there was this worry about the world and our place in the world and the responsibility of the atomic age or whatever to me stanley is stanley's the opposite he's like can i tell you the world's worst production idea I can't wait. It's just yeah. called MAGA Hat Stanley. <laughs> um, right. um, I mean, that, that's correct, probably, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Um, I don't think it, like, I'm, I, like, I don't think that gives us much or adds much to it. Um, it doesn't add much, but in the way, maybe he would, much you maybe he would vote for, it. we don't know, maybe he'd vote for Kanye West. <laughs> so, then it would, then it would be important that he had just served in Afghanistan, maybe. So John is clearly Stanley, and Chris, you're definitely Mitch. Um, I don't know who I am. I guess I'm Blanche, but I don't really. Yeah, you are. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was like, I was, maybe I was gonna be really like Miss. You or the matron. Or the lady comes. Does she Why come aren't selling you tamales? Stanley? No, no, no. I think you're actually Stanley, Josh. Me? Absolutely. Yeah. I think he are liked you, Stanley. You, oh, I love Stanley. Him. A, Stanley Joshua, a are you prone to outbursts? Are you prone to? <laughs> I'm both. I mean, my lucky husband. I am both Stanley and Blanche in our relationship. That's what. So my dream production is a one-person show starring you of a streetcar named Desire. Definitely been done. Have you seen? Um, um, the Simpsons episode of Streetcar Named Marge? No. When is it oh. from? Is oh, it from the 90s? Yeah, it's years. early season four. It's like probably one of the best. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, then possibly, we... possibly. Um, there's a, the opening song is New Orleans. New Orleans. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Um, all right. Oh, this was a great. I don't even think I have to edit this at all. I'm just going to put it right up. Um, Next week we come together to read nineteen another great another classic nineteen forty nine's um, Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller. I believe is this the, I think this is the only play that Arthur Miller won a Pulitzer for. Yeah, just he didn't win for the Crucible, which I think the is. Crucible, I don't think I don't think he won. How about that weird play he wrote about his marriage to Marilyn Monroe? 
I don't know what that play is. Ooh, it's it's rough. That's a rough fucking play, man. Um, I know that you all know that I love the TV show Smash, and um, which is about a fake musical about Marilyn Monroe, and there's like a weird number with Arthur Miller in it. Anyway, um, all right. Well, until next week, uh, say goodnight, folks, or say goodnight, folks. I always depend on the kindness of strangers. We're saying all right. Bye, folks. Bye.